Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And it's been a hell of a week since I last saw you, Danielle. I... Like, the world is on fire. So yeah, things have changed a little bit. Not just in, Rona. Not the entire world is on fire. I mean, like, I think t- today we're going to focus on the protests because they are global. They are ongoing. They are passionate. Mm-hmm. I have had, I have been in the streets marching around in Brooklyn five straight days. It's like every afternoon, early evening, I'm running over to the Barclays Center in downtown Brooklyn Folks are, you know, speechifying there. We either march up Flatbush Avenue and shut that down, or for folks who know Brooklyn, Livingston Street or or Atlantic Avenue, um, Adams Street going on to the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, I've marched over the Brooklyn Bridge, and I've gotten this amazing, cathartic, um, exhilarating feeling like being with like thousands of like-minded, angry people dreaming of a better future. I have not had moments. I had one moment that was frightening. I had one moment Sunday night that was frightening. Beyond that, it's been very peaceful. And I've been like, should I be bringing my kids to this? There was one moment Sunday night that was very frightening where I saw the police go into riot mode. And I left just as it started to happen because I kind of saw it coming. Yeah. but the police attacked unnecessarily and unprovoked, but for four water bottles, plastic water bottles being thrown at them. And the what police, time What time of day was this, Torre? This Just is, so people can get a sense of, you know, was this in, like in, at uh, night, like we are seeing on the news? Was it during the day when we are seeing uh, largely peaceful protests transpire? What time of day is 11, this happening? 11 p.m. Okay. Four plastic water bottles came out of the crowd, hit police officers, and they flipped a switch mm-hmm. just 15 minutes after kneeling with protest leaders and holding hands with protest leaders, which is why I'm like, fuck kneeling with cops. We should not be kneeling with cops. We should not be asked to kneel with cops. Leaders who tell you to kneel with cops should not be trusted. Stop te- stop chanting at the cops. Take a knee, especially in a moment when we were here protesting a situation where a police officer killed a man with his, his knee. knee. I don't want to hear anything about police taking a knee, but it's a completely empty, meaningless gesture that gets down to we need to have better interpersonal relationships with police when there are clear tactical things that we need from our police. We need to ban ch- we need to ban chokeholds. We need uh, to de-es- them to de-escalate situations. We need them to have a better use of force continuum, right? We need them to exhaust all alternatives before they start shooting. These sorts of, we need a duty to intervene from other police officers when they see criminal behavior happening and over-aggressiveness happening. These sorts of things will make a difference, not fucking kneeling with cops and holding their fucking hands. It seems to just be um, a desire for a photo op 
a desire to do the not all cops narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Which we continue to hear. And, you know, one of the things that I keep saying, we hear like, oh, there's just a few bad apples. Mm -hmm. And I keep wondering to myself, how many bad apples do you need to see before you realize that the entire orchard is poisoned? Well, you remember the original phrase, right? A couple of bad apples will spoil the bunch. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, but it's like it's we've been we've moved beyond the bunch to the entire fucking orchard. And it's like, how many more times do we need to have this conversation about not all cops, not all white people before we realize that it is a systemic problem? It is a bigger problem than just uh, a former officer Chauvin and the three that turned their backs. It's a bigger problem, you know, than than that. It is about the police departments across this country and the fact that we don't have any real vetting the fact that there isn't emotional there isn't an emotional uh test that you take to figure out are you a white supremacist are you not are you taking do you understand the awesome responsibility that you have to protect and serve all people even those that do not look like you do not speak like you do not pray like you um so all of the calls that are being made and all of the things that you just listed out, the demands um, that are being that are that are being asked. These this is it, it doesn't seem like a huge lift. And yet here we are. No, and it's not even a left right sort of thing, I would think. I think this is pretty straightforward. Um, I spoke to a criminologist who studies policing the other day and he said that the FBI has let police know uh, that there is a fear of white supremacists infiltrating police departments but police american policing has a dearth of officers they don't have enough officers to do the job as they think they should there are too few police officers in their opinion so when people who say fucked up things on facebook show up they're kind of like well we kind of need more people um, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not an emotional thing. We yeah. need to have a better contract of behavior with mm-hmm. police. I don't care if you love me. I want it to be against the law for you to choke me. And then most of the time they won't choke me. And if they do, they will go to jail. And I right. need special prosecutors who will say, we will prosecute police officers to who the break fullest. The law. They need to say. That not only will they prosecute them, they will prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. One of the things that people have been saying to me uh, on social media is that they believe that cops should be held to a higher standard than regular people, than regular civilians. Right. If if you if 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 George Floyd. Right. Had gotten into a confrontation with just a regular, a Mm. regular person. Right. Mm. That person would have been arrested on the spot, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right? Because it would have been a regular, it would have been a regular person. So why is it that a cop that has received training, that ha- that is in the possession of a lethal weapon, is, n- is not held to a higher standard of conduct than a regular civilian on the street? I mean, the anger is palpable. It's tangible. It's in lots of people, black, white, Asian, brown. Um, I am proud to march in the streets with people of all sorts. There's lots and lots of white people out there. I'm happy to see that. Holding Black Lives Matter signs, chanting that. Happy to see that. Um, I encourage people to go out and protest. It is mostly safe. It will make you feel better. It definitely makes me feel better. But yeah, in in New York, which I know most specifically about, um, there are dangerous moments within policing. Last night, a group of about 500 people got onto the Manhattan Bridge when officers did not want them to. And there was a two-hour standoff in which officers barricaded them at either side of the bridge so they could not get off the bridge for two hours. They were kneeling and holding their hands up and chanting, hands up, don't shoot. And people who were there told me they were truly scared that police were going to just start Opening fire. Run in and start, yeah, rubber bullets, Mm -mm. real bullets, run in with their batons and start beating them. They had no idea what was coming. AOC saw this on Twitter. She came down. It said, yeah, she said, this is very dangerous. I'm going to come down. 
serious moments of real danger have happened to people. And a member of our democracy-ish family, mm -hmm. uh, Andrew, who, you know, was our producer for a long time, still works with you as a producer, yep. um, was at a protest in Union Square and had an extraordinary moment. And I want to bring Andrew in to talk about what happened to him. Andrew, are you there? Oh, hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. So what, what happened to you in Union Square? Was it Sunday night? Yeah, so it was on Sunday night. And actually, I was with a group, a, a large group demonstration that started near the Barclays Center. And uh, kind of like I heard you talking about, Teray, the demonstration was moving. Uh, we moved over the Brooklyn Bridge and we got into Manhattan and we were going up through, um, I guess, like the Soho area. And actually, I was witness to some of the more uh, I guess you could say radical actions. I saw windows smashed in mm -hmm. and things of that nature actually had to run away a few times because we heard things getting smashed and didn't know what was happening. So there were like false alarms where we were just trying to be safe and, and running away. Finally, we got to a point right by the Strand bookstore on um, the famous Strand bookstore in downtown Manhattan um, at about 11th or 12th street. Um, and there was essentially protesters had set up uh, barricades against the riot cops um, mm -hmm. because I guess the, the thought was that they were going to start coming at people for being in the street. Um, so they the, the police had a blockade and then the protesters had set up a barricade. And a friend of mine and myself actually positioned our we're we're both white. So we positioned ourselves towards the front. Mm -hmm. um, and a bunch of people were kneeling. So we're actually kneeling behind the barricades. So we were kneeling. Um, a bunch of rows of people behind us were kneeling. They, the NYPD was blaring a announcement about the demonstration having turned violent. And every time they played it, we started um, screaming about us being peaceful. Um, and, you know, we, we continued our stance. And actually, just as a... Um, I don't want to make assumptions, but he was wearing a suit and he had a bullhorn. So my assumption was that he was a black community leader mm -hmm. um, or, you know, had some kind of some kind of position. He was he was dressed very nice. Um, he had a bullhorn. He was walking with a group of um, young black men. This was around 1030. And uh, kind of like Ture described, it was just to me, it was really unfortunate timing because just as he got to the front and seemed like he was going to try to negotiate or speak with the police, there was also a very large group of cops in riot gear coming up behind the line that was facing down us. And then um, somebody from the crowd threw something, um, I think a water bottle, and it, it was just like all hell broke loose. Mm -hmm. um, my friend and I turned like immediately to run away. Um, and one officer who I, I know the name of, but will not name, um, but he say his he name, his, Andrew, say uh, his we, name. We, we don't want anything other than what happened to Andrew to happen again. So <laughs> do not Andrew continue. Uh, but, um, you know, we can talk more about this off mic because I've Correct. got a lot of feelings about that. He, he was also, I will mention that he was covering his badge number. I was taking wow. some video and I, I reviewed it and he had his badge number covered with one of those, you know, thin blue line um, bands. And mm. he was looking at me a lot of the time. And I wasn't diligently taking video. I was just every so often, I just wanted to document. So it wasn't like I was, you can't aggressively take video, but it's not like I was you know, aggressively taking video of them or anything, but he had his eye on me. I, I noticed that I clocked it. And as I'm running, I, he, I feel a baton on my back. Well, I feel something, <laughs> wait, you know, hold coming on, wait, down. Wait, wait. You're, you see him and watching you, but you're yes, on while your we're knee, kneeling. Yes. You're kneeling. And then what happened? So after there was about, there was that standoff. I don't know for about how long, but we were, we were kneeling for a little while. Um, and I, I kept clocking him, staring at me. I actually stared back at him a few times just because I, I could really feel it. Um, and so once, once things, you know, as I said, once all hell broke loose and we're running, I Wait, felt did they, did the police yell something or did they just start attacking? No, there was no, like, 
that's it. There was no, they, they weren't saying anything. They had that automated NYPD announcement that I was talking about, but it was like, they just started advancing. Um, we had had those. With, with any provocation? Um, yeah, uh, from, from what I can tell, the only provocation they received was um, some thrown object, which appeared to be an empty water bottle. Wow. Um, and they, they had already had batons ready. Some of them were like holding them uh, with both hands, like, like bow-legged, like in a stance that, that to me read like ready to strike. You know, I've got video of it. Some of them seemed all too ready uh, to start coming. And so I've got my arm around my friend and we're both running. And, you know, I feel blows coming on my back and I crane my head to look. And there he is with his baton. And when I see him, and this isn't new to me in my interaction from the police, it seems like the last thing they want is recognition because as soon as I see him, he hits me again. Uh, I, you know, I fall, I'm pulled to, the, I'm hit to the ground, not pulled, but I'm hit with such force that I fall to the ground. And then a mm-hmm. number of uh, police surround me, including two How- white. Yes. So you're so you're on the ground, yes. Andrew. Not moving. I'm, not I'm mo- like ready not to moving. Like... And and a number of so so several police are are now surrounding you. You're separated from the the group. Or are there other people and other cops that you can see while you're on the ground being surrounded as well? I couldn't really see anything because at first my friend had actually dragged on with me, and I was trying to like get her to get away. And she actually did get away. Um, she was trying to help me and I, I told her to go. Um, I was actually bracing myself to get hit more, but I yelled, they're beating me like almost preemptively. Like I might've got hit one more time in the back when I was on the ground, but I yelled, they're beating me. And I did not get hit anymore after that. Mm-hmm. But I know for a fact that there were two white shirt officers, um, which is like a higher ranking. Like they're the ones out there actually giving the orders. Right. So I don't know what happened to the guy with the baton who hit me, but Mm. from what I was told by my arresting officer, who was not the one who was beating me with the baton and actually was not really on the scene at all. um, Basically one of the white shirts grabbed him, literally grabbed him, pulled him over and was like, book this one. I didn't hear this, but I heard this from a cop. Um, and then that was, that was basically it. You know, I, they roughed up my left arm. Um, they, they pulled that behind me really roughly as they zip tied me. Um, and then I've, I've characterized this to Danielle as getting the nice treatment because this guy had no idea what was going on. He knew in his mind that he hadn't seen me, he hadn't seen anything that was going on. And as the people who were arrested with me in the van eventually discussed, they all looked very young. They seemed Mm. to be inexperienced. A lot of them didn't know what they were doing. They weren't really familiar with the procedure. With the process. So so these are not, these are not, um, you know, to the point that you're making, these are not seasoned protesters who know the drill. They know what to do. They know the phone. They they know the phone numbers to call. Um, you know, they know the lockup procedure. Right. It was. It was. I mean, I don't want to be glib, but like you could say, it was amateur hour. Got mm. it. Hmm. Got um, and then and then from there, I waited in line at one police plaza with um, they, they had zip tied me very tight, which um, in the van that started to get to my circulation. And when I got out, all the people in the van were like, let him out first. His ties are on too tight. They let three or four people off before me. And then I stood in line for um, didn't really have a sense of time, but I'll say about half an hour to an hour. Um, saying repeatedly that they were on too tight before finally they got around to having the will to unclip them, like cut them off, cut the zip ties off of me and get me in cuffs. 
Andrew, do you know, um, and this is just like a horrendous, horrendous ordeal, and I so appreciate you sharing um, with the democracy-ish audience. Do you know what what are the charges um, against you? Oh, right. So so after after having my knee and face uh, visibly banged up and and um, my shoulders incredibly sore, no, neither dislocated. They had very good medics right outside one police plaza. Volunteer medics, obviously not anyone actually formal. Um, but the charges, from what I understand, were um, refusal to disperse and then like, uh, failure to follow a lawful order, I believe, is the second one. They, I got two summonses. Two summonses, okay. Despite despite the um, officer was technically my arresting officer saying in my earshot to a sergeant that he had not seen me in the street. Mm. Um. All right, um, Andrew. Thank you so much. Yes, it, it, it's such an extraordinary story. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Another example of what we have seen, what I have seen, what you have experienced, what we have seen on video, officers behaving aggressively toward peaceful, nonviolent, unarmed citizens who are exercising their First Amendment rights and officers proving that protesters are right to protest against American policing right now. Um I want to one bring more in, thing. Go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. Um, just one more thing I want to say. I mentioned this already. I just want to, to put the reminder out there. I am white, and that is the treatment I got. And I feel like I got treated relatively nice. So I just yeah. want that, you know, mm. to sink in. Yeah. Thank you for that, Andrew. Mm. And thank you for, for coming on and sharing your story. We appreciate it. Yeah. Stay well. Um, we're talking about protesting today. And perhaps... Far deeper than my story, you know, heavier perhaps than Andrew's story um, is the story of our next guest, um, Allison Lane, who got a little bit of notoriety, I guess we could say, a little bit of fame from a tweet thread talking about running away from D.C. cops, having to hide in with several other protesters in the home of a bystander who saw people in need and took them in and that led to a whole ordeal do we have allison on the phone i'm right here can you hear me so so, well let's have a formal introduction hi so well let's you know allison we your story is amazing and harrowing why don't you tell us what happened to you in D.C.? <laughs> you were part of the protest, and then you were hiding from the police in somebody's home? Yeah. So we started at the White House, and uh, the police officers were separating large crowds of protesters and pushing them in different directions. My particular mm-hmm. crowd got pushed more north, and they sort of corralled us um, once to Swan Street. And that's kind of where the story begins. So what happened? So tell tell us exactly um, what happened because I I used to I lived in Washington D.C. for about twenty years. I am super familiar with Swan Street as it was down uh, the street from where I live, uh, where I lived in Columbia Heights. So tell so tell give people like the just give them the visual. We saw some B roll obviously on the news, but give them some visual as to what th- this is a truly residential tree lined street. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, so we went, we started at the White House, and then the police officers started pushing protesters uh, up 14th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty gently, we're just forming lines, um, you know, to move people up 14th Street. This is after the, the photo op that we had no idea what was going on. We just saw police officers on horses right. pushing away poli- our you know, protesters. We saw smoke. Some of us thought it was fireworks. Some of us didn't know that it was flashbangs and... Um, pepper spray that was being pushed into the crowd. And I honestly had no idea that the president was out there until seven o'clock the next morning after I'd already been locked in somebody's house for hours. So uh, it was very confusing. So uh, we're being pushed away from the White House. We get pushed up north, up on 14th Street, towards mm-hmm. Columbia Heights, actually. Yep. Um, right in between, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like Belmont Street, 
Yep. That's right about when the police stops us the first time. Um, they stop us, they bring up this big crowd of people and they just start throwing flashbangs and pepper spraying just into the crowd for like five minutes and then they left. So but had had the crowd more- at that at that point, you all are are now several blocks away from Lafayette Park. Um, where, yeah. where, where, where we saw the video of the cops on, on, on horseback, um, where we saw the military behind the gates. So what, 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 if any provocation was there, um, that, re- that required them to be throwing these elements into the crowd? Honestly, nothing. And people started throwing water bottles after they started pepper spraying us. Mm. So it's kind of like, what is, you know, like, what was the purpose? We were peacefully marching down the street. We had the support of neighbors. People were leaning out the window, playing music for us and like, you know, cheering us on. It was pretty peaceful until they stopped and they just started throwing, you know, pepper spray and things at us. Um, so they stopped us at the street. They, I think they were trying to keep us. I think there was a group that had just gone ahead of us that was already in Columbia Heights. So they started pushing us back down south and we ended up going south towards down 15th Street. So we couldn't go any further west because there's a police station over there and they had that sort of, that street sort of blocked off. We had to go down 15th street. Once we get to F street, they stopped us. There was a line of uh, police officers on bikes and they stopped us. Mm -hmm. Then more police officers showed up and they started pushing us back to Swan street. Once we got to Swan street, they started boxing us into Swan street, kind of like, you know, curving us into Swan street. So we're there and we're peacefully, you know, raising our fists, black lives matter, hands up, don't shoot all of that. I'd say for about 30 minutes. Then all of a sudden we hear move and then they start pushing and pepper spraying. Just pushing, just no warning, just pushing pepper spray. They had started like, they lined up and then all I hear is go because I start people running. You know, you you try not to turn your back from the cop, but then also you're getting pepper sprayed. So what are you going to do? Right. We started hearing go, go, go. And we, I just saw after somebody kind of like pulled me up from being pushed from the cop. I just see people running into this house and like, was it multiple I mean, houses or was it just, was it just the house that you were in? And if you could tell us like, had he had his door open? Like, was he on the, was he on the front steps? Like, how do you go yeah, from, how do you know to go into his, how house? do you know to go into his house? So you're kind of just running everywhere. I think I just got lucky going into his house. There were people outside that were taking pictures and, you know, watching and protesting from their homes. I know they did not expect to see people, you know, in this residential area protesting. I know, I know that because we, we also didn't plan on being there, you know? Right. We just plan on going on 14th Street. So Raul, he says that he was on the front porch anyway, just like watching. Now, I know that a couple other people invited people in their homes, but I don't, I don't know why his house in particular was the one where they were just, people were pouring in. I don't yeah. know how that happened, but it, it, it happened. I mean, I think that, you know, from from the outside looking in, right, um, it's mm-hmm. remarkable, right? Because it, it's, a, it's a remarkable scene for us as Americans to even see happening, not inside of a history book from the 1960s uh, uprisings of that period. But this just sounds like you know, Germany, 1930s with (laughs) Jews fleeing and people opening their homes and letting them in. I mean, the The idea- Underground Railroad. It's the Underground Railroad. But that's what I was going to say. That's what we were calling it in the house. We were like, yo, this is kind of like the Underground Railroad. He's Harriet Tubmaning us. No, we're out here just getting safe. Because there was, there was nothing really else to compare it to. Like, no, you're the Harriet Tubman who's running. He's the homeowner who's who's sheltering you. Yeah. Uh, like, so, so yeah, you, they call me Anne Frank online. So, so like, yeah. I wish you wouldn't. So you ran into his house. And how many mm-hmm. people were in his house together? Ra- Raphael, so, Ra- what's his name again? That's two questions. His name is Raul Dubin. Raul, okay. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. An, uh, he's Indian, an Indian all, American, an Indian American man. First generation. And we've got it's super serendipitous because he's also a healthcare professional. So he was really prepared to take care of people. Like, wow. give oh advice. And like, you know, when we, so I, I'm just hearing now that the police are saying that they thought we were breaking into his house and that's why they were pepper spraying into the home, what? which is, which is, which is incorrect. They were pepper spraying people trying to get into his house. That's how we got pepper sprayed in the house. They were pepper spraying just wantonly, like 
people that were heading towards his house. So that's how the pepper spray was getting in the house. They were pepper spraying people that were, and he's, he's yelling, go, 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 get in my house. Which uh, I don't know how you can mistake you, that we're breaking into your home. You, there's, you there's can't. No it's, that just, one. it's just called a full on fucking lie. You, you, you can't, <laughs> yeah, you can't actually it's, mistake it's a, that. It's, it's a full lie. So like, we're like, okay. Like, anyway, so the scene when you walk in is just like kids on the floor, coughing, crying. There are people super how prepared many? with like, you know, spray bottles full of hands. Or, how many are we I talking about? Initially, yeah. initially there were at least a hundred people. That's what? A, a very modest number of because you know when you when you hear get in the house you hear he said go in any room just go upstairs downstairs this is a three level house you know wow. he's got people like in every every room of the house all over the place in the backyard there's people everywhere wait how many people um, how many of you the hundred initially wow. and at the end of the night because here's the other thing people before the cops had the house surrounded fully people were running through the house and then jumping over the back fence to get away from the police officers. Wow. So before they caught on to that, you know. Unbelievable. Uh, and so, so did, and so you, you were there. What did you guys do? Yeah, yeah. So what, I'm sorry, what? What did, what you, did do? you do? What did you do for those? Because now the curfew was at what time in in The in curfew DC? was at seven and this is probably, the, the curfew was at seven and this is probably closer to uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock when this started. I mean, how you described a whole ordeal through the night that the cops are waiting outside, pretending that there's a 911 call, blocking off food yeah. that Raphael's ordering for you. I mean, describe the whole scene of the many hours oh that you were stuck God, in the house. So that was crazy. So they started lining up people that weren't able to get into the home in front of the house. And we were like, what are they doing? Because the police are looking in the windows and we're like, okay, so was, are they trying to get in the house? And that was the first thing. We knew that they were trying to get in the house because they were trying to say that we were breaking into the home. So then when they realized that wasn't going to work out, they had some plain close police officers coming to the door saying that they needed help. And they were trying to get into the house as protesters. And we were like, okay, well, that's not for real. Wow. Because this person, like, that's not a thing. So when that didn't work, they switched over to have this police officer um, trying to first tell for Raul that he couldn't leave the house. Then he was trying to tell Raul that if he let a few protesters out, that they wouldn't be arrested. Meanwhile, they are blatantly arresting people right in front of us. We're like, okay, that's like not a thing. Um, <laughs> you're like, so I mean, you're like should I should I believe my lying ass eyes or what it or what it is saying, that you're telling me? <laughs> was it like uh, I'm not boo boo the fool because like that? <laughs> just like, like, so like boo boo the fool does not live here. Okay, so we no. were like <laughs> we were like okay, that's not gonna work. Then, so this is like this is a, the first round that what they tried to do. Then I heard, and I can't confirm this, that a police chief had come to the door and was trying to talk to Raul. And we're just like, we're not leaving this house. This is not happening. It's not a thing. So, uh, so they I was, really tried it. I mean, and they, they blocked they, off they your food. Like when they, he, he, yeah. he ordered food for you and you, he, and, and they blocked that from, yeah, from arriving. Cause that was the other thing we, we he gave us everything that he had. There were people downstairs at his kitchen, you know, food and water, giving the younger kids like ice cream sandwiches, you know, anything that he had to eat. He was giving it out. What an angel. He was really, really kind. What a sweet man, you know. And so um, we ran out of food. We ran out of cups for water because, you know, there's 100 people in a house. I'm sure that nobody expected this many house guests on a Monday night. Um, right, right. In the middle honestly, of a global pandemic. So, yeah. The worst, it's the worst house party you could ever be at. So, we, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, the worst all nighter ever. So, he... You know, we're running out of things. And we're like, so I think a couple of us tweeted out, you know, if you can send supplies, please do so. And that's what happened. Uh, Rosal was like, do you think I can just order a pizza? And I was like, there's no way you can get a pizza delivered to a house, like, right now. He was like, let's just just try it. Let's see what happens. Now, at the same time, somebody else had called a lawyer to see what we could do for our legal advice and, like, what our rights were in this situation. Like, are we going to, is it lawful for for us to be arrested after you know, we leave the home. Like, we're just trying to figure out, like, what can we do next? That lawyer that was sent to the house ended up being the taxi for the pizza because they wouldn't let the the delivery driver come down Swan Street or down the back alley. And they weren't letting the lawyer into the home. 
So the lawyer and the wow. delivery driver were in the back alley. The lawyer was had picked up the pizza, brought it to the back of the house, and passed the pizza over the fence to the protesters. Wow. The rest of us in the house. So it was kind of ridiculous. And then, like, when they realized, like, more people started sending pizzas, then they started just, like, sending pizzas down the alley. So uh, also, thank you, everybody, who sent us food, because that was really helpful. We got a lot of food sent to us from a lot of different people all over the place. And you helped out a lot of hungry kids. Even uh, one, uh, somebody who was running for office, uh, Rashan Puta, he lives down the street from um, uh, Raul. And he came down and he brought vegan snacks and food and support. He brought us masks and like first aid. So uh, we were, as the night went on, it, it didn't, it never really felt like we were alone or that we weren't supported. I mean, know? that's from, one like, of, other that's- like, we, for 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 what seems think, like the worst night of of uh, of a lot of people's lives at this particular juncture, um, to know that one that a, a home was o- open to you for shelter, that food and first aid was available, and we all need to remember mm-hmm. that like we're in a global pandemic where we're not supposed to be exactly. in you know in close contact with our with you know people outside of our home so the idea that there are a hundred people inside of a house yeah. in the midst of the covid crisis um is it is crazy but like we're being forced yeah. into doing what we have to do in order to get justice on so many different fronts yeah yeah see that was the other like i've i've been self-isolating for since march I haven't seen anybody. So <laughs> after we got locked in the house, I was like, well, would you look at that? Spend three months at home to get COVID stuck in a house with a bunch of strangers. Ain't that a joke? Because I don't know. <laughs> like, and it, but like, you, it, it, it's, it's a thing like where you can't not protest. You can't right. not be visible. I'm right. able-bodied. I'm very fortunate to still have health insurance. I don't know what the situation for a lot of those kids were there, though. You know, medical racism exists. Like, what's going to happen if they get sick? You know, I can't, I can't speak for them, but I can speak for myself. I know what I'm able to do and what I'm able to contribute, but I can't really, it was just like, you kind of have to do what you can. So I really showed up. And, and it's, it's also like a really good test of faith too, because you never know what we were coming into this house. Like there's a lot of deception and whatnot going on. Not everybody is a good person. It was very serendipitous that we ended up in that house with that group of people that were able to kind of like handle that chaos very well and, and low key organized. Cause even at some point that night, we realized, okay, we didn't think that we didn't know when the cops were going to leave, if they were going to leave at all. They kept lying to us and saying that the police were off of the street and they had buses and paddy wagons waiting for us on either side of Swan Street if we left the house. So, 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 so three, three points, because I know knowing uh, is mostly black people, I assume, right, that are in the, in this yeah. group, right? I, I know black y'all, and brown people. I know y'all found some joy in this and started singing some songs. So I want to know. What y'all sang and how that went. Um, and I want to know. Torre how- wants to know what kind of freedom songs you were out there singing. Exactly. And how how long were you in his house in total? And how did this come to an end that you're finally able to leave? All right. So probably around 30 minutes in after things were starting to sort of settle, like I went downstairs. Somebody was like, yo, this is like the revolution. Let's sing some Kirk Franklin. So we started singing Kirk Franklin Revolution. <laughs> mm, I love it. Nice. It, was the, it was it was the darkest, blackest moment. It was beautiful. Then you know, I'm sorry. What like I don't know. We were we were there for a long time. So probably around like one or two o'clock in the morning, we we realized the cops were leaving. So we we're like, okay. So somebody said maybe we should get escorts to make sure that we're able to get out of the house just in case whatever. Or it also make sure that there are people to witness what's happening since we're talking about it inside. So we tweeted out, like, if you can escort us. Uh, the Freedom Fighters of D.C. were super helpful and helping us organize not only with our within ourselves in the home, but, like, with their network of getting cars and people to stand on the street. We had people waiting with snacks. We had some of his neighbors were sitting, like, breakfast over to us at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. You know, you know get us ready. Because, you know, we didn't sleep. So we're just, like, kind of, like, you're running on adrenaline. People had, like, had snacks ready for us, you know. Uh, so getting out of the house was one thing. Um, the cops, like I said, did not leave until like 5 a.m. The curfew ends at 6. There were, so, and, you know, we didn't leave the house, so we didn't know if there were any other streets. So we had a couple people come in first, and they circled the neighborhood to see where the police were and kind of, like, watch. Because, you know, you don't want to, like, get out of the house 
and then only be stopped a block away for something stupid, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So we, we had people like, and this all happened like within like an hour or two. We had people like organized looking around the neighborhood for us. And then like right at six o'clock, we started just like letting a couple people out like two or three at a time um, going home in different directions. And it was really great because a lot of the people that volunteered to come and help us and we're super grateful for them. We were like, all right, we can't guarantee that like these people are going in the, like, the same direction. Are you comfortable? You know, we don't know, you know, if they're, I mean, nobody in the house seems sick other than, you know, having being pepper spray in the face. You can't really tell. Well, thank God. You know, other than that, you know, like nobody was like, nobody seemed to be displaying signs of COVID, but like also who is right now. Right. Exactly. You you, you know, you you have like, you could be asymptomatic, like very seriously. So, um, we, uh, you know, we, we, we told them that we also told them it might look like we're protesting again. So like, you know, be prepared for like what that image is going to look like for you. And if you're comfortable doing so, please come down and help us get out of this house. And like people showed up, like it was, it was amazing. It was, it was a really good uh, display of humanity. Well, also I will tell you that like it, you know, what you, I, I read your thread as if I was reading, you know, someone's diary. What you experienced um, was so powerful, but yeah. also just the the resilience of the people, the community of D.C. that I remember, not the bullshit that Trump has mm-hmm. brought in, but the things that I remember um, were on display that day and have been on display since uh, in D.C., um, because I think that it's time for the people of DC to take their fucking city back, um, yeah. from, you know, from, from this administration. But yeah, uh, thank you so much. Like yeah. this was, thank you for, hey, for coming on, for pleasure. talking to us. You're um, still at really a protest right now. <laughs> she is. She, Actually, yeah, I'm, I'm can't get enough. with a lot of the, with a lot of the, the donations that were sent to me, I have, uh, organized with a lot of. Um, my coworkers that are furloughed and we are out here. We're giving out snacks and food to protesters. Uh, we're about a block away from uh, Trump Hotel right now. I shouldn't have even said that asshole's name, but uh, we are, we're next to that hotel uh, in Freedom Plaza, you know, giving away snacks and, you know, having we have first aid kits set up if anybody wants to um, stop by and get them. Uh, but yeah, and like you guys were saying, like, I, I, I really... I really just wanted to make sure that the proper narrative was shown. Like I said, there's a bunch of black and brown kids in there and I don't, there's nothing more detrimental than them, you know, getting the narrative that they're being delinquents when they're not. Mm. I mean, I'm, I don't really have, I've been loud and wrong on Twitter for like 12 years. I I mean, I'm just trying to like do my best with what I have, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I guess like every little bit counts. Yeah. Thank you for the way that you use Twitter. Thank you for your story. It's uh, it's an extraordinary story. It's an extraordinary part of this moment. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank and be for, safe. Continue to stay safe out there. Thank you. Thank you so much. No doubt. All right. Um, Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Danielle, we are seeing people standing up to their government, standing up against uh laws that are unjust and saying we demand a better future and the police are like shut the fuck up <laughs> we don't want to hear it <laughs> yeah basically basically the, you know what somebody the, had tweeted and i thought that it was like a like amazing and i wish i remember the person's name but they said something to the effect of any time that you have ever heard let's say of a teacher right sleeping mm. with a student sleeping with mm. a with, with 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 a with a student underage student you don't see a bunch of other teachers rallying around for their right to be pedophiles <laughs> right so why the fuck are cops rallying around you know, other cops for your right to just kill unarmed citizens. Like mm. just when you when you think about the breakdown of that in other professions, right, where 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 people are uh, in different industries, you're thinking like that would be insane in any right. other in any other place. Right. That would be absolutely you would think those teachers are are whack jobs. Right. And they should all be removed from their jobs. I mean, you know, the the, the tweet that stands out to me, you know, if uh, there were. 12 apples that killed people we would mm. have a national recall of apples 
Yes, and then and then they followed up and said, and by apples, I mean cops. <laughs> but I mean, like, we would have immediate reform of the apple industry to Correct. make sure that nobody else, and yet 1,100 people a year die uh, at the hands of American police officers, and we cannot get significant reform. And right now, um, DeRay McKesson and his group have their list of things that have been, they have studied, find that will work. Eight Can't Wait is their uh, website, eightcantwait.org. Um, mm-hmm. You can hashtag eight can't wait. You can find their list of tactics. Share this on social so this can become much more understood because I don't want the conversation to be about vague justice and, you know, vague how we feel about each other and kneeling in solid cops and solidarity with people marching with, fuck that. We need to change American policing in eight specific ways that make a difference. Banning chokeholds, a duty to uh, to intervene. <clears throat> um, hold on, I'm calling up the rest of this list right now. Uh, banning chokeholds and strangleholds, a duty to intervene, a requirement of de-escalation. Why are you coming up so slowly right when I need you? <laughs> None of these sound difficult to do. They're not difficult. This is not even left-right. Require a warning before shooting. Exhaust all alternatives before shooting. I would like the exhaust all alternatives before shooting to even come before the... Because what they do is like, we're opening fire as they're shooting. So it's like, how about, I don't know, Dylan Roof seemed to have gotten a burger Mm. on his way to jail Mm. after he killed nine black people. So I'm Mm. pretty sure they know how to not shoot you. Ban shooting at moving vehicles. Establish a use of force continuum. Require that all force be reported. When these eight things are employed in a police department's contract, the use of deadly force goes down 70%. Yeah. 70%. These are incredibly important. I mean, like, when we talk about exhaust all alternatives before shooting, that is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And one of those alternatives is retreating because the officers seem to be, American officers seem to be intent on establishing their superiority. And quite often you can solve the problem by retreating. You know, in America, if there's one person with a gun, they call in everybody and they pull out their guns and they shoot him to death in england they wait him out this is not very american but yeah it's, actually, not, it's not very john wayne of them no but, you know but it works that was an actor um so you know <laughs> he was an actor but you know. no i mean you know we 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 do not have to accept the sort of policing that we are getting, and we don't need to have deep emotional changes within the structure of the police force. This isn't about body cameras. That does not produce a significant change in the behavior of police officers. This is not about implicit bias training. That does not uh, create a significant change in the behavior of police officers. You know, DeRay McKesson and them studied that uh, that that hiring black police officers does not significantly change the behavior of a, of the people in a police department until you get to at least 35% of the department being black. So that's not a scalable uh, imp, uh, tactic that you can do, right? We can't, there's 18,000 police departments, right? We cannot put, uh, we cannot make 35% of them black people. Um, um, but there are these specific things that we can do. Um, and DeRay and them also reject as implicitly racist the notion of and i love this of community policing which means you have to take my daughter out for ice cream or play basketball with my son in order to see his humanity so that you don't kill him uh when you see him running at night uh, uh 
<laughs> like, I mean, like, yeah. if you cannot see the people you're policing as human, then we have a much larger problem. But if we say you must exhaust all options before you pull out your gun, then even if you don't see me as humane, we've already told you this is the behavior that you can have. And how about, and if you don't exhaust all of those things, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We're no yeah. longer going to take police officers, police chiefs at their fucking word because their word is trash. Yeah, we need special prosecutors who will, who do not need to work with the police every day, hand in hand, in order to do their job. Because prosecutors need the police day in, day out in order to do their job. So when the when it, when it's a police officer they need to prosecute, they they have a problem. We need special prosecutors who don't need the police every day so that they can actually do their job and put police officers away when they break the law. Um, so, so this has been an extraordinary episode. I hope folks got something out of it. I hope you feel a little bit better in terms of us giving you actual actionable information that you can use to go forward to try to make a difference in the situation. Don't fucking kneel with cops don't ask cops to take a knee enough of that shit please for the love of god yeah but stay safe out there continue marching continue having your voices heard continue sharing videos that report the bad behavior of police mm. officers because Amen. we need to see more of that if you have the ability to tweet live when you are at these events and take photos do so because you will need that information later and one people are following live now and so that is incredibly important but above all else folks stay safe wear a mask outside when you're protesting even if it's yeah. not required in the city and the state yeah. that you are in just do so because while we're dealing with a racist pandemic we are still dealing with the covid pandemic so we yeah. want people to remain safe as well yeah. uh, well thank you for listening to democracy ish i'm Torre, and i'm danielle moody and we will be back next week <laughs> i don't fucking know and neither do you let's if, not make promises <laughs> if there's if still a, a country. country. We're hanging by a thread right now, Danielle. And I just, folks, look at our logo. When we created that, like we thought it was a joke. Oh. Lo and behold, it's actually what it looks I, like now right we have now. Literal fire. Not even figurative fire. No. Literal fire. Literal fire. Oh, all right. Bye, y'all. Peace. Pray about it. Pray about it. Really. Deeply. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Act Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.